With thousands of lights, baubles and glittering Christmas trees decorating the Champs-Élysées, there's no mistaking that the festive season is underway. But did you know that the French capital is in fact never short of impressive light displays? Paris's love of light has a dazzling history. Allow us to enlighten you. Hello and welcome to this edition of France in Focus. Now, Paris is renowned for its magical light displays and for very good reason. A simple stroll around the city reveals that it's not just the capital's most famous monuments that are illuminated. So too are its elegant avenues, districts and squares. Let's take a look at Paris's history with light. In 1665, under Louis XIV, the first public lighting appeared in Paris in the form of street lanterns. The objective was to stop crimes often perpetrated in the badly lit areas of the capital. As well as street lanterns, Parisians were also asked to place candles on their windowsills. From there on in, public lighting evolved. Candles were replaced by oil lamps and gas lamps by electricity. The first public electric lights appeared on the Avenue de l'Opéra in the 19th century. So to find out more about how street lighting has evolved here in Paris, I'm joined by Jean-Jacques Lemoylic. Hello to you, Jean-Jacques. Bonjour. If I understand correctly, Jean-Jacques, this is one of the first examples of public lighting in Paris. Walk us through how it works. Street lighting in Paris began under Louis XIV, with lanterns like this one that were lit up with candles and then with oil. So gradually, streets in Paris started being lit up with this type of lamp. So after this, uh, we moved on to gas lamps or gas lighting. How, did these, uh, how were these lit up? In 1829, the Rue de Rivoli was the first street lit up with gas lighting with this type of candelabra lamp. Every evening, lamplighters would use their blowtorch filled with fuel to ignite a flame. Every evening, so a lot of uh, work in terms of lighting these up. Uh, after the gas lamp, Jean-Jacques, there was the uh, arc lamps that you might say that were found on the Avenue de l'Opéra. How did that all work? Yes, Avenue de l'Opéra was the first street to be lit up using electricity with lamps like this one. But it created a really white light that people found too harsh. Also, the lamp didn't run for very long, only 150 hours. So when Thomas Edison created the incandescent light bulb, we dropped this system. Now, as a, a lighting engineer, you worked on a lot of projects to help light up Paris, Jean-Jacques. What would you say that is the project that stood out the most to you in your uh, long career? I've done a lot of projects lighting monuments in Paris. The big project that we're most passionate about is lighting the courtyards of the Louvre, which started in 1992. Okay. And what about this huge projector here? What was its kind of main job, if you will? That was the 1950 Mazda Infra Spotlight, 3,000 watts in 115 volts. And with this, we lit up the Eiffel Tower. We had 170 on the Champ de Mars to light up the Eiffel Tower. We also lit up the Notre Dame, the Arc de Triomphe. All the monuments in Paris were lit up using this model. There you go. Wow, very bright. It went as far as 300 meters and was the best lens back then. Jean-Jacques, thank you very much indeed for showing us around.
What followed the testing of electric lighting would be nothing short of spectacular. The Italian engineer, Fernand Jacopozzi, also known as the lightning magician, began illuminating Paris's greatest monuments, including the Arc de Triomphe, Place de la Concorde and the Opera Garnier, not to mention the Eiffel Tower. So here's the final result of what the Eiffel Tower looked like. There were nine different lighting designs which lit up in a random way. Someone was changing the lighting, but they had no idea what sort of design would come up next. And people watching were very happy because it was constantly changing. So, Veronique, your grandfather is known, became famous, if you will, for lighting up the Eiffel Tower. How did he manage to do that? It all happened in 1925, so I don't know exactly how it all came about because I wasn't around then. My grandfather was well known for lighting up department stores, so we know that he was skilled enough to work on lights that were 30 metres high, and he was capable of using cables that were many metres long. So he was asked to work on the Eiffel Tower project and he obviously really liked it. But the problem was that he had to find a sponsor, because people running the decorative arts exhibition didn't have the money for that. So he turned to Citroën, who, after looking at the project, said, OK, let's do it. He started working on it two months after the opening of the Decorative Arts exhibition. There were 250,000 light bulbs that were three different colours, but you needed electricity for that. Can you imagine the hundreds of thousands of wires that were 300 metres high? He asked his usual team of electricians to work on it, and they said, no, we're not climbing up 300 metres. So he thought of sailors who go up boat masts, and also circus acts who are used to climbing up high. So with this new team, he managed to illuminate the Eiffel Tower two months, very little time. So once he'd managed to uh, light up the Eiffel Tower, that led him to lighting up other famous monuments in Paris. I think what happened was that as he went up to the first, second and third floors of the Eiffel Tower, he realised that all Paris monuments were in the dark. And I think the mayor of Paris at the time saw that the Eiffel Tower was lit up, but not the other monuments. So towards 1927 and 1928, they began to light up areas around the monuments that had been in the dark up until 1928. Uh, one thing that's really interesting is that during the First World War, your grandfather was asked to create a kind of false Paris, uh, a little bit away from the capital, to trick the Germans. In 1918, German bombs were causing a lot of destruction and killing people. So the French army decided they couldn't just do nothing. The war wasn't over yet. And they realised that German soldiers dropped bombs during the night on the lit-up areas in Paris. So as the soldiers were waiting for Paris to be in the dark to drop the bombs, they wanted to create another Paris on another loop of the River Seine that looked exactly the same as the Parisian one. So that's where the idea of a fake Paris to the north of the city came from. But the war ended before being put in place. So your grandfather was really well known uh, during his life, less so uh, after his death. How do you feel about the fact that there hasn't been uh, a street named after him, for example? It's sad because Paris is called the City of Light, partly thanks to my grandfather, and it's a shame that he's still in the shadows. That's why I've been trying to put him back in the spotlight for 10 years now. 
I would love for a street to be named after him. It's being talked about now since I started working on it. An exhibition on the Eiffel Tower lights and the Lighting on Paris monuments could also be in the works, but I'm hoping with all my heart that we can get a street named after him. Thanks very much, Veronique. Today, the city of Paris is still responsible for street lighting and many of the capital's historic monuments, as well as artwork. So, Teddy, we are here inside the Champs-Élysées Gardens. We're right next to this sculpture uh, created by Jeff Coombs, entitled The Bouquet of Tulips. We understand that Paris Town Hall is in charge of lighting it up. What kind of lights are you using? So we placed three sets of two LED strips around the monument. In each light, one of the two strips illuminates the hand, with a warm white for the skin. And then the other strip illuminates the tulips with a much colder white, which makes the colours stand out better. Now, it looks beautiful, but the issue of light pollution has become a big issue. What's Paris doing to tackle that? In Paris, we're setting up a Parisian nighttime network which aims to limit light pollution in the most sensitive areas to protect biodiversity. These spaces are 100% equipped with LEDs and we use orange-yellow tones which have less impact on biodiversity. And we're also thinking about gradually dimming or turning off lights, particularly in the two big parks, the Bois de Boulogne and the Bois de Vincennes. Now, in 2018, there was a national light pollution policy that was introduced. Since then, dimming has also been an option. Yes, so light dimming is very complicated to implement in a city as dense as Paris. But despite everything, we are getting there by doing it with a little finesse. We still manage to implement it in places. I talked about the parks. We can also talk about green spaces and the banks of the Seine, which are also sensitive for wildlife, aquatic fauna in particular. We're getting there little by little. Well, Teddy, it's no secret that uh, the Olympic Games are just around the corner. What has uh, Paris got in store in terms of lighting up the city? When it comes to the Olympic Games, there will be three major groups of work to plan for. Firstly, refurbishing the lighting of monuments. There will also be the refurbishment of public lighting. For example, right next door you have the Place de la Concorde. You have the Louvre sector just behind. Their heritage is very rich and will be updated for the Games. And then finally, there will be what's called mapping, the very spectacular projection of video onto supports on monuments. And I can't tell you any more about that at this stage. Well, we can't wait to see what Paris has in store for the Olympic Games. Uh, thanks very much for speaking to us today. Thank you for you at home for watching. That brings us to the end of this episode. We'll see you again next time.